0: Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Well, a happy Sabbath greeting to the church family here and also Sabbath greetings to all of those who may be listening, wherever you may be, from the Williams Lake Seventh-day Adventist Church. And now it shall be one day after the usual celebrated holiday of the birth of our Savior. But what a marvelous gift God gave. Our Redeemer will be always God with us. Emmanuel. Let's pray. Dear precious Father, thank you so much for giving us our Savior and to be forever our God with us. In Jesus' name we pray, asking your blessing on our worship today. Amen. I chose the title, just one word for this sermon today, Trust. And there is one verse I would like us to read as the scripture reading. And it would be John chapter 10, verse 14. It's a short verse. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Now, do you want to open your Bibles and be ready for some of the things we're going to be looking through today? You could open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. And today I will be using the message translation of the Bible because I feel that, to me, it talks more as it is for life in our world in this day. Now, regarding Matthew chapter 9, it is just full of some of the wonderful things Jesus did while he was living here in our world. And the Seventh-day Adventist commentary on this chapter, especially verse 13... Quotes Ellen White as saying, Christ might have gone to the pleasant homes of the unfallen worlds, to the pure atmosphere atmosphere, where disloyalty and rebellion had never intruded. And there he would have received with acclamations of praise and love. But it was the fallen world that needed the Redeemer. I came not to call the righteous, said he, but sinners to repentance. Now allow me to read Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 to 38. Matthew 9, verse 18. As he finished saying this, a local official appeared, bowed politely, and said, My daughter has just now died. If you come and touch her, she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, His disciples following along. Just then, a woman who had hemorrhaged for 12 years slipped in and thought to herself, if I can just touch with my finger the edge of his robe, I'll get well. Jesus turned, caught her in the act. Then he reassured her, courage, daughter. You took a risk of faith, and now you're well. The woman was well from then on. By now they had arrived at the house of the town official and pushed their way through the gossips looking for a story and the ladies, the neighbors, bringing in casseroles. Jesus was abrupt. Clear out. This girl isn't dead. She's sleeping. They told him he didn't know what he was talking about. But when Jesus had gotten rid of the crowd, he went in, took the girl's hand, And pulled her to her feet alive. The news was soon out and traveled throughout the region. Now, as Jesus left the house, he was followed by two blind men crying out, Mercy, son of David, have mercy on us. When Jesus got home, the blind men went in with him. Now, do you think Jesus tried to outrun them? I don't think he tried too hard. I'm sure he stayed at a pace where he knew they would be following along. And why did he wait till they were safe inside, in a room, to heal them? Now, Jesus asked them a question. He said, do you think I can really do this? They said, why, yes, Master. He touched their eyes and said, become what you believe it happened they saw then jesus became very stern now i think this might be the reason why he asked them to come like waited till they got inside his house before he healed them he said don't let a soul know how this happened but they were hardly out the door still till they started blabbing the news everywhere Right after that, as the blind men were leaving, a man who had been sick and struck speechless by an evil spirit was brought to Jesus. As soon as Jesus threw the evil, tormenting spirit out, the man talked away just as if he had talked all his life. The people were up on their feet, applauding. There's never been anything like this in the land. The Pharisees were left sputtering. Hocus-pocus. It's nothing but hocus-pocus. Obviously he has made a pact with the devil. Then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places, reported kingdom news, and healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised and hurt lives. When he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. How few workers. On your knees and pray for harvest hands. Now I'd like us to pray once more. And um, I'm going to read this prayer because it expresses some thoughts that I feel are extremely important in our world right now. But I like the way the Message Bible puts it, now, immediately, right here, on the spot where you see the need. Father in heaven, our world is in a frenzied mess of confusion now too, brought on by a little virus, COVID-19, turning everything stable into insecurity. But the big virus is sin, and we can't fix that one on our own either. Please help us to trust you at your word, John 3.16. If we believe in your Son, we will live. We are asking you now to help harvest the soul crop that is ready to hear this solution to our world's sin problem. Thank you, Lord. I heard a neat story on a radio program which has to do with our scripture for today about the, Jesus claiming to be the good shepherd. He knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. Landon was an American boy, 11 years old, from a huge city full of people and full of stress and confusion we sometimes think is real living. What a non-funny joke. Landon had grandparents in Israel, and for his summer holiday, his parents took him to their small town for a visit. Landon had heard many stories about life in their town, and now he did some Googling to see what else he could learn. He was especially intrigued by the stories of the shepherds leading their sheep by talking, not pushing with a stick or goading them or whipping them, just leading them by their voice. He knew Bible stories about things like David and how he looked after his sheep and how he would put his life in danger for the sheep. He knew the verses like John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. John 10, verse 4, the sheep follow the voice of Jesus. Now Landon couldn't wait to see how well this worked in a real town intersection where not only traffic meets, but several different flocks of sheep had to cross paths in order to get to pasture. One sunny morning, early, he was not really awake yet, He heard a commotion outside. He jumped up and headed to the front door. He flung open the door. He heard a sheep choir. He shouted back to his grandfather, Hey, listen, they all sound different. He grabbed his camera, ran out the door, trying to get closer. The shepherds waved their arms and shook their heads and shouted out, Get away, get away. Landon felt hurt. He only wanted a good picture. His grandfather called him back in the house. You see, if a stranger gets between the shepherd and the sheep, they get confused and run everywhere because they don't know the voice of the stranger. Then it made sense to him. The parable Jesus told. John 10, verses 1 to 5. Let me set this before you as plainly as I can. If a person climbs over the fence of a sheep pen instead of going through the gate, you know that he's up to no good, a sheep rustler. The shepherd walks right up to the gate. The gatekeeper opens the gate to him, and the sheep recognizes his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he gets them out, he leads them, and they follow because they are familiar with his voice. They won't follow a stranger's voice, but will scatter because they aren't used to the sound of it. Do we trust Jesus? Do we know the sound of his voice? You realize the Holy Spirit speaks to every person's heart. And we have the chance to hear his voice and understand it if we take the time or if we want to. But that's usually where the problem is, do we want to? How about some primary treasure stories now? And there are simple conclusions to these, but they also have some inferences to look deep into our own hearts to pull thoughts out. Lydia and Carmel learned to trust. Lydia could tell that her dad felt frustrated with Carmel, the horse he was training, Dad had been working with the horse for a couple of weeks. At first, Dad had allowed Lydia to help, but because of Carmel's temperament, Dad now made her stay back outside the corral. Lydia knew Carmel had been abused by her former owner. Now it was taking a lot of work to get Carmel to trust anyone again. The horse would not take a bit or a saddle, but Dad was finally able to get a lead rope on her. I think we're going to call it quits for today, Dad told Lydia, who was watching from the other side of the fence. We will walk her down to the lower pasture. It's quieter down there and very pleasant, and I think it might calm her down. Lydia walked with her dad, staying at a safe distance. Lydia had her heart set on being a horse trainer, just like her dad. She watched his every move so she could learn. Lydia stopped suddenly when her dad put up his hand. Now, in spite of the distance between them, she could not tell what he was saying, but she knew he was thinking. She was certain Dad had lost his mind when she saw him take off the lead rope. That was the only way that he had any chance of controlling Carmel. Then things got even stranger. Dad took off his shirt and threw it over Carmel's face and head. Now Lydia was seriously wondering about the sanity of her father but she continued watching and learning. Lydia could see Dad's lips moving, but she wasn't close enough to hear the words. As he began to walk across the corral, Carmel followed. Lydia was stunned. Again, keeping a safe distance, Lydia followed Dad and Carmel. She followed them past the barn, through the corral, down the gravel driveway, across the paved road, and into the lower pasture, It was peaceful in the pasture. Maybe Dad is right about it having a calming effect on Carmel, Lydia thought to herself. Lydia was amazed that Carmel had followed Dad without a lead rope. The shirt had blindfolded Carmel so she couldn't see anything. Finally, Dad walked over to where Lydia stood. Now he was wearing his shirt. That was amazing. How did you do that, she asked. Carmel has to learn to trust Again, Dad replied. When she couldn't see anything else, she concentrated on me and stayed close. Dad took Lydia's hand in his and they turned to walk back toward the house. She couldn't see, but she could sense me. She could hear me walk and she could probably smell me. Carmel needs to learn to have complete faith and trust in me as her trainer. When training a horse, you always want every day to be just a little bit better than the day before. Sometimes it's a slow process, but you always hope for progress. Lydia had already learned that a horse needed to trust her as a trainer, but she had never seen it in action like this. Dad interrupted her thoughts as they continued walking. That complete trust is how our relationship needs to be with Jesus, he said. It does not matter how we have been hurt or who has hurt us. Jesus knows all about it and he understands it. And he will never do that to us. Later you remembered a verse she had memorized. It's like Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, she told her dad. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. Dad smiled. That's right. This whole scenario reminds me of how it is to trust Jesus and be a Christian. Lydia thought for a moment before speaking. We should have complete faith and trust in Jesus. Dad nodded. Yes, we should. There's another verse in the Bible that talks about choosing the correct path. It is in Isaiah 30, verse 21. If you go the wrong way, to the right or to the left, you will hear a voice behind you. It will say, this is the right way. Go in this way. Jesus promises to show us which path to take. Lydia giggled. Carmel needed direction today when you blindfolded her. Dad laughed. She is slowly learning to trust me with all her heart and soul and mind. Just like us and Jesus, Lydia said, nodding her head. Dad gave her hand a squeeze. Sounds like Carmel isn't the only one who is going through some important training. Lydia smiled at her dad. Thanks for training me too. Keep looking to Jesus and you'll never go wrong. Dad smiled and squeezed Lydia's hand again. Snake bite. God's people had been wandering in the desert for 40 years. The Israelites once more were on the edge of the promised land. But because they chose to disobey God and not believe before, they had wandered through the wilderness. But he didn't abandon them. Every day of those 40 years, they had manna to eat. They had water to drink. Now, once again, the Israelites were near the promised land, so near that they could look across into the lovely green fields and see the wonderful place that they were hoping to cross into. And they thought it was very unfair that they had to wait all this time to get there. Forty years in that hot, ugly, dry desert, they grumbled to one another. Now, I don't know if you know how a grumbling wheel works, but it's kind of like a rumbling wheel. The faster you go, the more that wheel makes noise. And the more they grumbled, the louder it got. They grumbled first of all to each other. Then they grumbled to Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to die here in this desert? They complained. There's no water. There's no bread. We're tired of eating manna. They didn't appreciate what God had done to keep them safe. They weren't happy about spending all that time in the hot, dusty desert, learning more about God and knowing His ways, that they are always good. Now for those of you that recall just uh, just a tiny bit ago, we studied something about the manna and what God was trying to teach His people with the manna and about the Sabbath. Trust. He wanted them to learn to trust Him, but they were stubborn. <laughs> are we stubborn? Once again, they accused God of causing their hardships. Poor Moses, he had heard it all before. He tried to point out God's leading. He tried to show them the many ways God cared for them, but they wouldn't listen. It seemed that all they could do was complain. Grumble, grumble, rumble, rumble. Finally, God decided to take away his protection and let them find out What would happen? Have you ever pushed your parents at some time in your life past the point of what they knew was good reason and said, look, you're going to have to learn this the hard way because you're too stubborn to learn it the easy way. That's what God had to do. He is a loving, kind, teaching, directing parent. But he needs us to learn because he loves us. Now the poisonous snakes that lived in the desert soon overran the camp. And many of the Israelites were bitten. In almost every tent, someone was sick or dying or had already died. No one was safe from the fiery venom of the snake. Once bitten, they soon died. It didn't take the people long to see how wrong they had been. It just makes me laugh how... Fickle we are as people. Yeah, all of a sudden we realize, yeah, that was really stupid. Well, I told you it was stupid, but no, you wouldn't believe. We sinned when we grumbled about you and God, they told Moses. Please, they begged, pray that God will take away the snakes. And that makes me think how hard do we pray so often for God to take away the results? Wouldn't it be better if we asked God to take away the problem in our hearts? Moses prayed and the Lord heard him. What a compassionate God. Why would he do that? Only because of love. God told him to make a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Now isn't that a funny thing? If you had been bitten by a snake, would you want to look up at a snake picture? But God said, that's what you need to do. If those who had been bitten would look at the bronze snake, they would live. Moses made the snake just as he was told, and the people who looked at it were healed by God. But some people didn't have faith in God. They chose not to follow His direction. And they didn't bother to look at the pole, because why would they? And because they did not obey, God could not heal them. And you know what happened. Snake bite. You die. The snake in the desert was a symbol of Jesus dying for our sins. The metal snake had no power to heal. It was faith in God that led him to heal people. Years later, Jesus referred to his death. Now the Bible tells us, he said, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Jesus. John 3, 14 and 15. Our faith in Jesus lifted up on the cross helps us know that Jesus died so that we can live with him forever. So have faith in God and believe what the Bible says. One more story. Lifting up Jesus Michael Arthur Patterson ran around with his hands out, laughing. Running into a body, he grabbed hold, calling out, I got Susanna. Susanna's it. No fair, Susanna complained, laughing too. You're way too good at this. Blind man's bluff was Mike's favorite game. His friends would find a good, clear, grassy area and make sure there was nothing he could trip on. Then they spun him around three times and let him go. He always caught someone within a very short time and he always knew instantly who it was. Susanna had to wear a blindfold, unlike Mike. He listened carefully to her running steps, laughter and panting, and managed to stay away from where she was trying to catch him, even though she couldn't, he couldn't see at all. One day Mike and Aunt Rose went to Susanna's house to pick up some dried flower arrangements and craft items. Susanna took Mike out to the barn to see the baby goats, who were big now and didn't live in the same pen with their mother anymore. Susanna was training them to be following with a leash so she could take them to the county fair in August. She let Mike lead one, and it pulled him so hard and he couldn't see where he was walking that he fell over in the pasture. Then the goat got started to chew on his hair while he and Susanna laughed and laughed. On Tuesdays, Mr. Fontaine still came to Susanna's home, which they had this little business called Lilies of the Field, and he bought a white rosebud. He usually stayed and talked a while. He and Aunt Rose were becoming good friends since she had begun helping him once a week to clean his house. Mr. Fontaine could still be grouchy, But Mike knew these days he only grumbled out of habit. The old man was changing, but he still wouldn't visit church with them, although he seemed to like it when the young people would occasionally come to his house and put on a puppet show or sing some songs. Mike had been thinking a lot about the lesson this week. Miskimodo had shown them John 3, where Jesus said the bronze snake lifted up in the wilderness represented him. When we lift up Jesus in our daily lives, he will draw others to himself. It's not our job to convince them, only to lift him up. That's what Ms. Komodo had said. Mike wondered how he could lift up Jesus to Mr. Fontaine. He and his family and friends tried to show Jesus love by their actions. Did that hold Jesus up? Or did Mr. Fontaine see just people trying to be nice? He listened to Aunt Rose and Mr. Fontaine talking. Suddenly he had an idea. Aunt Rose, I think we should have a picture of Jesus on the wall somewhere. Is there room? Sure there's room. It's a nice idea. What made you think of it? Well, I just think we should show Jesus to people, that's all. How do you know what he looks like? Mr. Fontaine asked. We don't, Mike admitted. It's the idea that counts... I suppose we'll all be shocked when we see him in heaven and find out he doesn't look anything like we imagined him. But you won't even be able to see this picture. That's okay. You never know. Maybe my imagination of what he looks like will be more like what he really looks like. Mike laughed. Three days later, Mike was surprised to hear Mr. Fontaine's voice when the bell tinkled and the front door opened. "'Hey, Mr. Fontaine, is it Tuesday again already?' "'Nope. I just guess I can come and visit my friends if I want to. Can't I?' "'Sure. Come and see our new picture of Jesus. Dad just put it up this morning.' He walked with Mr. Fontaine to the sitting area and wished he could see the expression on Mr. Fontaine's face. He felt Mr. Fontaine's hand on his shoulder. "'I came to bring you something, Mike.' "'Me?' Mike was surprised. Mr. Fontaine took his hand and placed something in it. It was flat, rectangular, bigger than a book. Mike felt it curiously. It's different from my usual carvings, Mr. Fontaine said gruffly. Here. He took Mike's hand and guided it. This is called a relief carving. It's like a picture. Here's the frame around the edge. And here in the middle is the picture. But it's carved, so you can see it too. This is the top. Can you tell what it is? Mike felt all over the picture carefully. He could feel a rounded outline with lines carved into it, like the mane on the little carved horse Mr. Fontaine had given him. Within this rounded outline, he found two indentations and in the middle, something that stuck out a little. A face. It's a face, isn't it? This is the hair, and here are the eyes and the nose and a beard. Mike felt the picture some more, and a shiver went down his back. Mr. Fontaine, he hesitated, hardly daring to ask, Is this a picture of Jesus? "Guess I did a good job then, Mr. Fontaine said, gruffer than ever. And Mike knew by now... That meant he felt something deeply. Mr. Fontaine laughed his rusty laugh. Or maybe your imagination and mine are alike, eh? Mike felt as if his happy smile was so big it would split his face in half. Maybe. Mr. Fontaine, this is so great. What made you do this? His fingers were still running over and over the picture. He almost felt as if he could see Jesus as well as he could see Aunt Rose or Dad with his fingers. I wanted you to be able to see Jesus, too. Just then, Aunt Rose came in. Oh, Mr. Fontaine, that's beautiful. May I see it, Mike? Mike let go of the picture and turned to reach out his hand. He felt Mr. Fontaine take it. This is the nicest thing you could possibly have done. Thank you. Mike, Aunt Rose's voice sounded strange. This may sound funny, but this picture looks kind of like you, only grown up. Anyway, I think so. Don't you think so, Mr. Fontaine? Mr. Fontaine harumphed. Does it? Well, maybe Mike reminds me of Jesus. And he left before they could say another word. Mike couldn't have spoken anyway. He could hardly breathe. Oh, Mike, Aunt Rose sounded as if she might cry. Did you hear that? He does see Jesus in our love. He does. All of the conclusions you may think should come from this story, you're going to have to think for yourselves. And I am hoping that all of us will realize that Jesus does love us extremely and he is counting on us to share his love. And it does matter. Am I going to be too stubborn to take the simple precautions against COVID, for example? That's just our current situation. Our health officials are getting burned out at trying to convince us, do this, do this, because it could be a precaution that will help. Some of them are so simple. Why would we not? Am I going to be too stubborn to take the simple cure for sin? Look unto Jesus. Believe He died for me, for you. Live. Simple procedure. Can you access a hymn book at this time? I would like to read the words of a hymn to finish off. In the Seventh-day Adventist, in the current hymnal, it would be number 279. Only trust Him. Come every soul by sin oppressed, there is mercy with the Lord. And He will surely give you rest by trusting in His word. For Jesus shed His precious blood, rich blessings to bestow. Plunge now into the crimson flood that washes white as snow. Yes, Jesus is the truth, the way that leads you into rest. Believe in Him without delay, and you are fully blessed. Come then and join this holy band, and on to glory go to dwell in that celestial land where joy's immortal flow. Only trust Him. Only trust Him. Only trust Him now. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you you now. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, our very dear Good Shepherd. Only you know how to really lead us. Please help us to follow your voice. Home to be with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray and we thank you. Amen.